Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law, 560 AM KBLU, and uh, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving this past week. Hopefully you're not too uh, plump and, and unable to get out of bed this morning. Um, it's Monday, so the diet starts today. That's what I tell myself every Monday, and every Monday... I tell myself, the diet starts today. Uh, We've got a great show for you today. We've got some guests in our studio. Uh, We've got Sean Garner, obviously, my esteemed colleague. And we've got Cody running the board and pushing buttons and stuff just like usual. But we've also got Dr. Chase Thompson in the house. He works for, or owns, I should say, uh, Yuma Endodontics and Implants. Did I say that right? Close enough. Close enough. Close enough, yeah. He's real fancy and uh, does some really (laughs) cool stuff here in Yuma. And then we've got my my nephew, Brenton Hill, who recently graduated from law school last year. And um, I asked him just to come and and sit in and observe. And I guess he took over a mic, so he thinks he's going to speak now. And so we'll see if we hear anything wise from Brenton today. Uh, Don't hold your breath. Just kidding, Brenton. He's, He's a really smart guy. In fact, these guys, Sean, are incredibly smart. When you, when anytime Sean comes in and he talks about Chase or he says, oh, Chase said this, that, or the other, my ears perk up because Chase to me is very intelligent and he's not one of these guys that is just like smart and a nerd and um, unable to communicate ideas. He's smart and he's very good at speaking and uh, communicating his ideas effectively and so he's just the whole combo wouldn't you agree oh absolutely um for example whenever he wants to do a project he doesn't just go out and have it contracted to get done for example he just put on solar panels on his roof and uh he went out he researched it all he found out what uh product he wanted to put on. He, he researched how efficient it was going to be, how much money it was going to save him, where it was going to be constructed, Lo- researched all the companies. And then um, did you order the solar panels yourself? Uh, it was actually where I worked through a company that that helped you. They, they did the engineering, they did the permitting, they did the planning, and then they basically sell you the, the panels and all the equipment. So the company is supposed to do all that work, but you oversaw that the actual installation process hired your own independent electrician to help you install the panels and connect them because it wasn't good enough for you just to hire a, any typical company to put them on you wanted them to be done precisely the way you <laughs> understood them to work and and now you understand them inside now i like projects and i like learning about stuff so i know a lot of weird random facts about things that I shouldn't know, but I know them. And it's fun to just dive into things like that. It's a distraction for me from the day to day. So that's what the solar project was. And I did have some help from local companies, and, uh, and they were very helpful. But, and family. And family, yes, that's true. You don't want your father-in-law to hear this and then and feel... That's true. I wore him out. Him, uh, yeah. I wore him right. out. Yeah, he was, he, was, uh, he was great, though. Couldn't have done it without him. So... That's the type of people that we like to have on our show because we like to explore ideas from different perspectives. Obviously, nobody wants to just hear it from a lawyer's perspective. Uh, No offense, Brenton. In fact, um, you graduated law school, but you also have your master's in hospital administration. Mm -hmm. 
or is it business administration in general? Uh, healthcare administration. Healthcare administration. You went to law school at University of Kentucky, Lexington. Go Cats. Okay, yeah. And so we are both uh, alumni from Kentucky, and uh, now you work at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. I do. What do you do there? So I'm an administrative fellow there, and uh, usually it's geared toward hospital administrators and training, but since I have my JD, they've been allowing me to do some legal regulatory work as well. So... What you're going to be doing is helping administer in hospitals, and maybe not the Mayo Clinic. Is that where you're just going to be serving for a period of time? Is this is this an interim job, or is this your job until you get fired? Yeah, so it's a two-year program, um, okay. and they generally try to retain you as a result of the program. But um, you know, I'm I'm exploring my options, so we'll we'll see what happens. And the long-term goal is to to be a a hospital administrator. You know, I've actually gone back and forth. Um, I've missed the law aspect of it, so I'm actually leaning towards doing something either in legal or on the regulatory compliance side. So, Okay. This is our panel of guests. So what are we going to talk about first today, Adam? Sean, you were, I asked that question to you, and I think what's been really on your mind recently is the the, the process of constitutionality. And we started this concept, or I wouldn't say concept, but we really focused our energy let's say a year and a half, two years ago on constitutional issues. And coincidentally, it, in, it lined up right in time with the whole COVID-19 shutdown. If you remember this in, in the early part of 2020, Sean, we, you came into my office and you said, Adam, I think we need to focus more on the Constitution. And at first, when you said that to me, I thought, well, that's a big, to me, that's a big task in a radio show that we do on Monday mornings. Um, I, my concern was that the the listeners would tune us out mainly because they felt detached or they didn't they weren't able to uh, connect or understand concepts. Because when you say constitution constitutionality or the Constitution, I think people automatically feel like, well, I know basics about it, but I don't know a lot, and therefore it's not for me, or it's intimidating, and they kind of tune out. And what I don't want to happen is that, because it's not difficult to understand. In fact, our Constitution is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, in the world, and we talk about this all the time. Number one, I love it because of its briefness, its shortness. It's the shortest Constitution in the history of the world, yet it does more for freedom in the history of the world than any other Constitution. Argentina tried to copycat what we did. They've done it to a certain extent, but nobody has done what the United States of America has done with its Constitution and still have the ability to say, hey, we've got this thing fully standing on all four legs. And the United States does. And that is a a testament to our founders and the way that they got things done. So you asked the question, what are we talking about today? You brought up the idea of the Constitution and it's how do we change it if we need to change it? I think a lot of the, the voices that we hear now uh, recently in the media and stuff like that is such that the Second Amendment, for example, needs to be altered or that's not what the founders meant when they constructed that particular amendment. Um, therefore, we need to reinterpret what we, how it needs to apply today to today's set of facts as opposed to what really should happen is the, the amendment is the amendment, the wording is the word, wording, the meaning is expressed in that wording, and therefore it is what it is. And 
I think the basis that we need to start from here, in my personal opinion, is what what is the proper role of a government and the Constitution in our daily lives? And that really comes down to, well, where do we get our rights? Are we born with these rights? Or does the government give us rights by virtue of me being born here in the United States or being naturalized through the naturalization process? Am I granted, therefore, rights, a right to vote, a right to uh, move around in my car freely, or am I born out of the womb with freedom? And then the government allows me to do certain things within that freedom sphere. So that's really the idea here. I think, I think your average Joe walking down the street would, would argue that the government gives us our rights. They allow us to do this, that, and the other, and they don't allow us to do this, that, and, and the other. But that really, I think, is a backward way of looking at the Constitution and our actual, our actual being. I think we are individuals that were born um, with God-given rights of freedom. So you start way out here in the huge, the huge ether, right, with all this freedom to do whatever we want, to lie, steal, cheat, kill, be honest, to be um, a good person. We can do all that within this sphere, but then we have this government role coming in to say, well, you can't, if you kill somebody, there's going to be a consequence for that because we can't have people running around killing people. And so you've got this criminal law body that's born out of that that says you can't run around and kill people for profit or whatever uh, without consequences. You're going to go to jail. And that gives the rest of us a notice that, oh, if I kill somebody, I'm going to go to jail. So we as a society decide what we do not like among our citizens uh, when it comes to criminal uh, offenses. And that as a whole is our body of criminal law. And then we decide, okay, if you infringe on one of those criminal offenses, then there's going to be a consequence to that. And that consequence detours and hope the rest of society from doing bad things that we as society have agreed. These are bad things to do. So let's just kind of couch the, that idea in into a, a basic, easy to digest concept. And that is the people have all the rights. That's how we started out. That's why the war was fought, because the people didn't have enough rights. The king had all the rights, and he would only grant to the people certain rights. And so when the Revolutionary War was won, we had uh, the Articles of Confederation, and those were too weak for the nation to stand on because they didn't have the power to actually pay off national debt by collecting any taxes. States could contribute funds to uh, uh, the national treasury, but it wasn't mandatory as voluntary. So don't, don't want to get too deep into that, but we needed to form the Constitution. And that was uh, ratified in 1787. So it was 11 years after the Declaration of Independence. So we got the Declaration of Independence in 1776, and then we got the Constitution in 1787. And uh, what happened shortly after that, well, four years after that, was the adoption or the ratification of the Bill of Rights. And... Uh, you could argue that that was the first time the Constitution was amended, but it was also the first time it was amended ten times because there was the first ten amendments, and that's what we, we understand to be the Bill of Rights. But it took four years for that to happen. And when you read the Bill of Rights, it's hard not to think that the, the founders and the people that were supporting and, and arguing for the Bill of Rights, that they put it in some type of order of priority. And the very first Bill of Rights in there, or amendment that's in the Bill of Rights, is freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom of assembly. 
So that's the First Amendment. So how important is that? I think it's number one. If we don't have freedom of expression and the freedom of thought that we can think whatever we want without the government raining down on us and controlling that thought, then we don't have anything. The next, the Second Amendment is the one I want to focus a little bit on right now because that seems to be probably one of the hottest topics and has been for the last couple of decades, and that is the right to bear arms. The right to own guns and to actually be out in public with guns. Mm -hmm. So there's never been a law that I'm aware of that says you can't own a gun at all under any circumstance. But there have been laws that came very close. So we want to focus on the Second Amendment and how relevant is it today, as opposed to when it was written and adopted back in uh, 1791. The Second Amendment is pretty straightforward. Uh, I will read it because it, it doesn't roll off the tongue like some of the other amendments, but it still is pr pretty easy to understand. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay, so let's focus. There's not a lot of militias running around today. And uh, what is it that we're, we're focused on in that right? It's the right of the people to keep and bear arms. We have to take a break. So we're going to talk about that. What does that sentence mean? Does it mean all arms? What are arms? And should it be or can it be regulated by the government without an actual amendment to the Constitution? For those of you out there who want to learn more about estate planning and not just about the Constitution and how we maintain our, our rights and freedoms, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about property and how to maintain property, how to make sure that if you become uh, incapacitated or pass away, the government doesn't control the distribution of your property. And that's through proper estate planning. We have two seminars, one on Thursday this week, that's December 1st at 10.30 a.m. at the Yuma Main Library. And the second one is on Friday, December 2nd at 2.30 p.m. If you don't remember exactly those dates, just go ahead and Google Yuma Estate Planning and you will find on our website what those dates are, and you can even reserve your seat if you go to yumaestateplanning.com. We'll be back. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. 
Welcome back, Yuma. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner. I'm in studio here with Adam Hansen, and we have a few guests. We have Chase Thompson and Brenton Hill, and we are going to be talking about our basic rights as citizens of the United States of America. And we're, we're talking about, in particular, the Second Amendment. And in the Second Amendment, it states specifically that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Yet we have a lot of these laws now, gun control laws, that uh, want to infringe the right for of people to keep and bear arms. Now, I'm not uh, a big gun advocate. I'm not, uh, I own guns, but all the guns that I own, I've received as gifts from family members. And uh, what I want to know is the constitutionality of these laws that are out there, how we go about running our government, and uh, how sacred we hold this, this document that is the Constitution. And the Second Amendment seems to be really the tipping point here, because if we allow ourselves to twist the Second Amendment to be interpreted however we want, then we can easily twist any other portion of the Constitution to mean what we want, and then the Constitution becomes meaningless altogether. So I'm going to just uh, throw it out there for both of you, Chase and Brenton, what does it mean to you to be able to keep and bear arms? What it, what are arms? Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm coming from a I'm a I'm a gun owner. I'm not an I don't carry, and I'm not uh, I'm not an avid shooter, but I enjoy target shooting, and I have guns, and I think the Second Amendment is very very important to our way of life, and it's because of what Adam was saying. I think the Constitution is not a document that grants us rights. It's a document that limits government interference of those rights. And that's how I view it. And the Second Amendment is, I mean, the way it was stated, it seemed like when you read that, I'm not an attorney and I don't regularly read the Second Amendment, but it seems like it says the right shall not be infringed. And that seems like we have the right to bear arms. I don't, I don't know what that means by arms. The, the purpose in my mind is to protect yourself and not just from my neighbor or from someone else, but from the government to protect myself from tyranny. And in my mind, that means any arm that I want. We could put some restrictions on that, but I don't know where we draw that line. Firearms, everything in the Constitution seems like a double-edged sword. You have to give people freedom, and that means freedom to succeed and freedom to fail. And when you grant someone the right to bear arms, there there are inherent dangers in that. And so I understand a little bit about both sides of the argument where you have to protect everyone, but uh, what that, that comes with some inherent dangers. Brendan, I've grown up, I've seen you grow up, and, and it's been a Thanksgiving tradition or the day after Thanksgiving to go out shooting. And uh, I found it interesting as I looked into the history of Thanksgiving a little bit more. Maybe I'd seen this before and not realized it. But uh, the, my latest reading of the history was that uh, it was a, a three-day tradition, or it was a three-day feast. And uh, some of the games that they did, some of the sports that they did, wasn't, wasn't kicking around the football. It was going out and shooting. That was literally the first, like, family tradition of Thanksgiving was going out shooting. So I didn't realize 
how fundamental and and uh, consistent with the constitution or not the constitution with uh, the tradition of of thanksgiving going out and shooting was but uh that's i remember your family coming down and going shooting and i know that uh, your your family enjoys the right to keep and bear arms but how do you feel about it personally yeah i mean i'm uh, i'm actually uh i'm actually a very avid hunter and so, you know, I, I use guns all the time, right? And, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree with Chase. I, I think that, you know, the Constitution is pretty clear that, you know, people have a right to right to bear arms. But, you know, freedom always has a price, right? Yeah, if we look at the First Amendment as well, and you think of freedom of speech, there's always there's always a price of being offended. There's always a price of uh, hearing something or, or saying something that other people don't like. And so I think that I think we have to think about the Second Amendment the same way that you know, regardless of uh, of what it is, the Constitution states that we do have that right to bear arms, and you know, there, there's always going to be a price uh, of doing so. Whether whether that can be regulated, I think that you know, I think there's you know arguments to be said on both sides, kind of like what Chase said. And uh, you know, I think we do need to protect people. Obviously, you know, we we look at all these events that are happening in the United States and I think it's very sad you know you hear about the school shootings and so and such and you know it breaks my heart every time that happens and so I do think we need to find the root cause to that whether that's guns or not I don't know uh, you know I think people blame it on guns but you know I think I think we need to dive down deeper into that why are people wanting to shoot each other but you know as as a basic freedom I, I think we need to uphold that because it, uh, it it's important to us and like Chase said it prevents tyranny and it allows us to uh, live those rights like we've always had so let's let's talk about arms a little bit and what it actually means because it is kind of a ambiguous term and uh, so we got to go back to the founders originally and 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 what what had just happened and and why would they put that in there and especially second i mean we got first freedom of religion speech press assembly and then we got second in there the right to bear arms and when james madison was writing the federalist papers those papers were basically an argument for the constitution to to convince the people that the constitution was necessary and that there would be limits on the the power that was going to be given to the federal government because it was going to create a much stronger federal government but there were going to be limits on that power and in uh, the 46th federalist paper he talks about um, the right to bear arms and the ability uh, and what 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 that meant is the definition of arms, and what it gets down to is he's referring to the British invasion and its weaponry, including cavalry, artillery, and naval power, and that's that's what he was using as his reference point. So when we think about arms, we're thinking about okay, it's not necessarily just the right to protect yourself from an intruder from breaking into your house, or even from being assaulted on the street or you know, some type of violence that occurs in school or in a mall or anywhere else out in public, even though there are currently some, a lot of gun restriction laws out there that don't allow you to carry a gun in public places. But those would be, it would seem to me those would be the common sense applications of that right. But here, they were specifically talking about defense against tyranny defense against our government becoming like the British government and suppressing us. 
And so the ability to keep and bear arms that were similar to those that the government possessed and used to rule over the people was the right retained by the people to keep and bear arms. So that is where this kind of gets really big and expands out. And, of course, back then, what they used was cannons. They used naval ships. They used horses and and, uh, bayonets and, and different things like that for weapons of war, and uh, the, the citizenry had all of that. In fact, the Revolutionary Army was built of just citizen so- soldiers, and they had the types of weapons that they needed to combat against the, the British Army. So should the argument be that we should have everything that the government has to fight against the tyranny from the government? That, as uh, Chase was talking, that was the concept that, that flashed into my mind. When I think of the Second Amendment, I think of what was the historical context at the time when they wrote it. And the historical context or the background there was that you had a British soldier come into your house and take your guns. Literally, they would amass, they would come into these villages, these colonies, and they would take all of your arms, all of them. No Americans were allowed to have firearms but the British soldiers, and so they would take them and usually put them in a storehouse at a church, something like that there in that local village. So the first thing that the British would do is disarm that village or that colony, rightfully so. Now you have an indefensible citizenry that even though these British soldiers might be acting in an unhumane way against you, you have no retaliation other than your fists or physical aggression in some form. You don't have a firearm to protect yourself even though they did. And I think the founders were very aware of that. Obviously, they lived it. They lived under the fear of a British soldier coming into their house every day and ransacking it or stealing arms or even hanging you or killing you, executing you in front of the crowd if you were to be in possession of a firearm. And having that historical context, I think it's very understandable in our current situation to understand the same thing. It's not, in my opinion, a fight between whether I'm a service member and I have a right to bear arms because I'm part of a militia or not, or I'm a private citizen and I have a right to bear arms. There's no doubt that the the founders wanted every individual's right to be protected against their own potential tyrant, which is the government. So the government coming in and they were living this on a daily basis. So they were in a position where they knew the perils of an armed tyrant coming into their homes. And they wanted to allow freedom for every individual in the American colonies to be able to fight against that if necessary, when, when power and authority was usurped or it was overbearing against them and their families. And when you put it in that context, if there's a government official that is allowed to walk around with an M4, I would argue that I should be allowed to walk around with an M4, save some sort of other issue that disqualifies me from doing that. If I've been a known person to do bad things, I have a criminal history or I have psychological issues that are documented, then maybe we can talk about a different situation. We don't want people like that walking around with fully automatic weapons or with a weapon at all in most cases. So do we restrict some individuals' rights to bear arms? And where do you where do you find that fine line? And I think that's really the question that you're asking, Sean. Where does the government come in and say, well, you do have a right, an unlimited right to bear arms, but some people don't because of this, that, or the other. Well, what is the, this, that, and the other? I think what we see is you have two ends of the spectrum. You have the fully, no, you're not allowed to have a firearm unless you have 
a reason to have it. You know, like in New York, that that's a typical uh, New York City. They have an ordinance. Well, it got overturned constitutionally just recently, but they were trying to say, in order to get a firearm, you will have to prove why you need it. And at the city level, they were just categorical, categorically saying nobody needs it. So when I would give my permit to the city to prove my ability to get this gun, they would just say, no, you don't have a reason for it and deny it. So I was limited in the ability to get a firearm if I needed. And Chase, you lived in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so you live this daily um fear of crime if you will i don't know if you've actually feared it i went there during the summer i wasn't really in fear of any crime it seemed to be pretty fine where i was at but i wasn't in the slums or in the bronx or anything like, well yeah i was i went visited a yankee stadium but when i was there okay yeah thinking back on that when i was in the, in the bronx and i was at yankee stadium we did a tour but we took the the subway line from outside to back into manhattan and just that interaction alone i have traveled a lot abroad i take public transportation abroad so i'm very aware of how to place myself and things like that so to me i it's not a big deal but i think of other people or tourists that might be in that that situation there's a lot of shady stuff and people all around you um at at any given time so when you're out in the hood that i mean things are different there and you might want to be carrying a gun but you won't be able to do that probably in new york right is the argument because you're going to be denied so where does the government's role fit into all of this are they allowed to tell you no we just don't like guns in our city therefore any law-abiding citizen that tries to get one we're going to say just kind of like insurance when i apply for insurance or i try to submit a claim to my insurance company most of the time they're going to deny it right off the bat no deny 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 you got to prove why uh, it's kind of like how it is in New York, California to get a gun. And so is that right or is that wrong? Is, should the policy be first let's deny it all and then you have to prove to us why you need it? Or is it we prove all, all gun? Anybody can have a gun unless you can prove why you shouldn't have one. Before we go to break, we got to mention we've got some upcoming seminars this uh, coming week. That's Thursday, December 1st at the Human Main Library at 1030 a.m., and then uh, Friday, December 2nd at the Foothills Library at 2.30 p.m. So if you can make it out and, and uh, come see us in, in our live seminar, we would love to see you there. One of my favorite things about these seminars is the ability to interact with you. And if you have questions, we answer those live. So if you have a really hard hardball question, bring it. And uh, we love to answer your questions there at these seminars. If you haven't got something in place for your family, it's time to, to start thinking about that. And if you have, and it's been a while... Still, come to one of these seminars or give us a call. Come see us in our office because it's time to review what you've got and uh, we can give you some ideas of how to improve on that or at least give you a bill of okay. Um, but again, that's uh, Thursday, December 1st. This is the end of this week at the Human Main Library at 10.30 a.m. is our first seminar. And then if you can't make it to that one, we've got one on Friday, December 2nd at the Foothills Library at 2.30 in the afternoon. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner in studio here with Adam Hansen, uh, also our guests, Chase Thompson and Brenton Hill. We're talking about 
the Constitution, and in particular the Second Amendment. The reason I bring up the Second Amendment is not because I'm a huge gun advocate, but it's because I'm a huge constitutional advocate. I, I think that we ought to read the Constitution for the plain language of what it is and apply it without twisting it and warping it beyond recognition. Otherwise, it's, it's what good is it at all? And uh, the Second Amendment is a good place to draw the line in the sand because it's pretty clear that um, the right of the people to keep and bear arms should not be infringed is pretty black and white. That's what the people have the right to do. So the question is, what restrictions, if any, can the government impose on the people? And Adam built that up pretty well that some cities want to restrict mm-hmm. all of the right to bear arms and other states that they're they're pretty open about the ability to keep and bear arms chase you've lived both in arizona and in new york and you were talking yeah. to me yesterday about a dichotomy that you experienced yeah so i i had some friends visit from new york and they were here taking care of some family business and they were they were actually managing the affairs of someone who had just died they were the trustees and they were given everything that this person owned in their home. And so they were going through the home and trying to organize it and get it to the to where it needed to go. And they came across a firearm. And they had no idea that this elderly woman would carry a firearm. They were from New York. She lived in Arizona. And to me, I thought, well, I, I, everyone has firearms in Arizona. Um, that's just what we do. I was really a fish out of water when I was in New York. I left all my firearms here in Arizona when I went to New York because... It's a different world out there. But they were here and they said, well, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know, I mean, what, what, what do we do? And I said, well, you can do whatever you want with it. There are several things you can do. And they were just so, the way they thought about, the way they talked about firearms was completely foreign to the way that I grew up. Kind of like they just came across a snake, a yeah. poisonous snake. They had no that, idea that, how to deal it, with it. they it, it might strike them. Right. And, uh, and we, were, we were sitting down, we were at a restaurant, and I said, this is Arizona. This isn't New York. And so, said, so her discussion as to how, how she reacted when she found right. the firearm was happening as you're sitting down at a restaurant. Right. And I said, I said, you know, I would bet you that if we went and tallied up all the guns in this restaurant, you'd find half a dozen guns right now in this restaurant. And that made their jaws hit the floor. They just could not run that through their heads. They, that was completely foreign to them. Adam, you mentioned, you know, some cities just want to, they will just want to ban all guns. Well, they don't have anything personally against guns. What they don't like some of the things that they, that guns do. So their purpose is to, I assume, limit gun violence, reduce crime, reduce all these things. And by taking away guns from law abiding citizens, I'm not sure they're accomplishing that. It's like, uh, I mean, you mentioned the second amendment. I keep thinking about the first amendment when you're, when you're talking about this, the answer isn't more restrictions often. The answer is less, fewer restrictions. When you talk about the First Amendment, what about you know, all the fact checkers on, on Google and on Facebook? And they're the arbiters of truth and what is truth. And what, they put disclaimers on misinformation, things like that. That's a dangerous road to walk down. The answer to how do we get good free speech? How do we get people the correct information? How do we get people to the to uh to be able to openly say what they want to say the answer isn't restricting it and limiting what people can say the answer is more freedom of speech the answer is let's combat that with other voices that have differing opinions and not let's just try to limit this and only show one side it's let's 
let's let it all out there, lay it all on the table, and people will make their own decisions. But that's a very foreign concept to a lot of people. And again, that's the double-edged sword. It's dangerous to give people a lot of freedoms and a lot of rights, and that's where people want to come in and say, well, I don't trust you to make that decision, so I'm going to make that decision for you. And that's dangerous. That's where, that's where government oversteps, and that's where it gets out of control really fast. And that's where I see the, the Second Amendment. Sure, there's a line that needs to be drawn. I don't know where that line is. It's different for different people. So, and, and that's the question, really, and I'll, I'll direct it at Brenton. Um, should people be allowed to possess any type of firearm that the, or, or, or weapon in general that the government possesses? And, I mean, w- that really opens it up. We're talking about tanks. We're talking about missiles. We're talking about nuclear weapons, perhaps, right? I mean, if we really want to be broad about this interpretation, the original concept, let's get back to the original concept, what was going through the minds of the founders when they wrote this? It was to give the people or allow the people to continue their right. It wasn't giving the people the right because the people already had the right. It was that right should not be infringed or shall not be infringed. And uh, to bear the same types of arms as the government to defend against tyranny. So... Where's the cutoff? Or is there a cutoff, Brenton? Yeah, I, I think we do naturally have to have a cutoff. I don't think it makes sense to have, you know, everyone, you know, obviously everyone couldn't afford to buy a tank or missiles or whatever, but I don't think it makes sense to allow our citizens to have everything, you know, that that the military has per se. Just just based on my opinion. I, I don't I don't think that's realistic nor nor safe. I don't think everyone should you know, I don't think my next door neighbor should have a bazooka that they can just, you know, you know, wave around. And, and so, okay, you don't think that they should, but does the amendment allow them to have that? From your from your reading of it, that that last sentence, that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, and the understanding that arms is in this sense talking about military weaponry. And uh, so, is it against the Second Amendment for a, key, a person to have a tank? I mean, based on, you know, based on the plain reading of it, if we were just going to read it plainly. And you can see I'm trying to back in a corner yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> no, if you read it plain, then you're, you're exactly right. You should not, you should be able to buy it, you know. So what is the solution? Is it, well, then? is there any other way to read it? <laughs> That's the question. You said, if you read it plain, then yeah. Well, what other way is there to read it? So, so before we get too far down this rabbit hole, I want to be clear to the audience, I'm not advocating that we have tanks, that, that every citizen go out there and buy a tank, even if you could afford it. What I'm saying is, this is what the amendment says. Now, the founders, they knew that they could not predict the future. They knew that our society would go through a lot of changes. And so they wrote in there a method for the Constitution to be changed, and it's amendments, and it's been changed. In fact, within the first four years of the Constitution, it, it ten amendments were incorporated, and those amendments were already considered in the drafting of the Constitution and being proposed to the people in order to um, persuade them to adopt the Constitution. And the people were actually pretty upset when the Constitution got ratified without the Bill of Rights. But fortunately... The Bill of Rights followed soon after, and so we um, have those rights reserved to the people to have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, right to bear arms. 
the right to be free from quartering soldiers during times of peace. That's the Third Amendment. So it's all about not having the government impose on our personal lives and maintaining the freedom of the people. And then the Fourth Amendment is um, freedom from searches of your home, that your, your home is sacred, that the government can't come into your home. You can do what you want in your house, and the government can't come in and, and do that without a warrant. And uh, so all of these things, but where do we draw the line there? And Brenton, you, says, you said, I don't think that my neighbor should have a bazooka. Okay, but can I then just interpret the Constitution to say that? Or what's the proper method for bringing the Constitution up to date to be relevant with today's society and the, the technology and the advanced weaponry that exists today? What, what should we do? It's all about bicameralism, right? That's that's how the founders set it up. You know, we need you know two thirds votes and everything. I don't know the exact, you know. So the the long and the short of it is to amend the constitution. We have to have a two thirds vote in the house. We have to have a two thirds vote in the senate, and then it has to be ratified by three quarters of the states. So three quarters of the states is thirty seven and a half states. <laughs> So, since we don't have a half state out there, um, it's going to be 38 states right now, unless we get another state in the union, like uh, Washington, D.C., or something like that. So, that's how we amend the Constitution. Is that possible? Well, it has been done, right? It, it, It was done first in 1791 with the first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights, and then it was done 17 times after that. The last amendment was done in 1993. Interestingly enough, I just looked this up, um, that uh, that amendment was actually proposed also in 1791, the last amendment that was adopted, and that amendment was that Congress shall not have the right to raise their pay until after they finish their term. (laughs) And so, it it was originally proposed in uh, 1791, it took 102 years for Congress to finally get it ratified by the states that they shouldn't be able to give themselves a pay raise. All right, so it's been amended 17 times after the Bill of Rights. And what were some of those amendments? I think some of them really brought government and and the Constitution up to societal standards. And that, you know, you look at some of those First Amendments in there, we've got um, the 13th Amendment was that there shall be no slavery. And that's a pretty important one. Mm. We've got the 14th Amendment, that uh, due process, meaning you can't have your rights taken away without going through the procedural process of charges being brought against you and a trial by jury by your peers. That was extended to all the people. You've got uh, out there the 18th Amendment that prohibited the sale of liquor and transportation of liquor. And then the 19th Amendment that uh, allowed women the right to vote, and then the 21st Amendment that repealed the right or the, the prohibition on the sale of liquor. So if we can get together and have a common organization that's, that we can believe that it's bad to sell liquor and amend the Constitution. We thought that was important enough, right? Whether or not you could sell <laughs> liquor, we can amend the Constitution for that. And whether or not the 
Congress can give themselves pay raises, why can't we get together on something as important as to whether or not your neighbor should own a bazooka? And is, is that the only way that we can actually create restrictions on that, that right to bear arms without totally disregarding the Constitution? And by doing so, if you disregard one amendment, you're, you're essentially weakening, if not destroying, the entire document. Am I exaggerating the point that you can't just choose one amendment and choose to change that amendment and, and to write laws on that amendment, even using um, the, the typical process of passing laws either through Congress at the national level or through state laws on, on a state level to change the Constitution, that we should not be able to do that, that it's so, such a fundamental and important thing that we should actually go through the long and arduous process of getting two-thirds vote in both houses of Congress and, and, and three-quarters of the states to ratify it. What, what, what do you think about that? Is that a foreign concept when I put that out there? I'm not an attorney, so I don't know. But, 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 but it, and, and that's the whole reason you're on the show, because yeah. most of us, most people are not attorneys, and we don't want just attorneys' opinions. The, the Constitution was written for the people. Right. It's hard to, there is no one-size-fits-all answer for almost anything. And that's why you'll find certain jurisdictions like New York, where it's very restrictive, and then Arizona, very liberal when it comes to owning firearms. And why can't local jurisdictions set limits as they see fit? Why does, why does the limit have to be across the board at a federal level with, well, a, with a constitution change? So here's my response to that. Rights are so fundamental that uh, unless we protect them and, and hold them sacred, then we're going to lose all of them because the majority of the population can act as a mob and start voting away our rights by a simple majority. Mm. And I think the founding fathers saw the wisdom in that. We don't want our rights to be taken away by a simple majority. We want to make it very difficult for our rights to be taken away. Now, the people hold those rights, and we give the government some control over those rights, and that's what the Constitution is, is saying, government, these are the rights that we're giving you. This is the power we're giving you. The rest of it, we're reserving to ourselves, right? And, that says, mm -hmm. and it says that specifically in the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. And so... Um, if I allow by a simple vote of the people the ability to take away my rights, then the people could vote that I, I shouldn't have the right to say what I want to. The people could vote that I shouldn't be able to um, worship how I f see fit. The people could see that I should not have the right to own a firearm. And uh, I think that the Constitution was written to protect against mob rule, and we're not a democracy for as many people out there that think we are, we're a republic. Mm -hmm. And a republic is basically a check on a democracy because a pure democracy allows for a simple majority to rule without the, the check and the balance of, of cooler heads being elected to positions to represent the interests and the rights of the people. That's all the time that we have for today. Thank you for listening. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.